0: Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. I'm going to share a message today. I'm really excited about sharing this with you. I want you to go ahead and turn to Genesis 12. Um, A couple of things, just as we start today, Father's Day. Uh, Father's Day, what an amazing day. You know what I've discovered over these last few years Pastoring, I've been at this a little while. I've watched a lot of things come and go. Father's Day, I said this on my Facebook, is not as simple as it used to be. There's so many different layers that people bring to this day now. Uh, we, we face in America today what uh, I was surprised. I, I read this last week uh, that in Congress there are some of our congressional representatives that are, uh, have sponsored a bill to try to deal with the epidemic of fatherlessness in our nation today. It has become such an issue that uh, everyone has had to come to grips with it. But I'm convinced that of all the solutions that could be and might be offered, that we have the answer here in the Word of God. And that's not because I'm a pastor and it's Sunday and it's Father's Day and I have to say that. It's because I've seen it lived out. I've seen men that were not good fathers become great fathers. I've seen men with a lot of regrets come to Christ and, 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 and watch God's mercy and grace and the cross wash away guilt and shame and failure and give restoration and give a brand new opportunity. I can tell you the, the example of in very close to my own family for my father-in-law, Phyllis's dad. Uh, his, he grew up in a pastor's home. Uh, Phyllis's grandfather, his father, one of the greatest men I've ever met in my life. Led one of the greatest churches uh, that I've ever had the privilege of attending in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. When her grandfather retired, it was the largest, uh, whatever term you might want to use, Pentecostal, charismatic, full gospel church in the entire Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. He brought, uh, uh, it, it was the, uh, at the end of World War II, the beginning of the outpouring of the healing revival, it was the headquarters for the Voice of Healing movement that swept across this nation. Uh, he was used in an amazing way. Anybody ever heard of Joel Osteen? Well, uh, his father John Osteen was uh, in a fellowship that did not believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit the gifts of the Holy Spirit were available for today. But in his seeking the face of God, he began to realize there was something that God was going to do in his life. And he writes in, his, uh, in, in, in the authorized biography of, of John Osteen is his encounter with Phyllis's grandfather. Have any of you ever heard of uh, Dr. Larry Lee that led a great prayer mo- movement in the Dallas area and wrote, wrote the prayer thing, Could You Not Terry One Hour? He, his biography states that he would go to her grandfather's church and sit in the balcony on Sunday nights and weep being in the presence of God. On and on those things would go. And so he was an incredible man. But Phyllis's dad, growing up in that uh, home, had the enemy come at him as an early child and attack him With doubts and fears, there there was some abuse that happened from members of the church. There were a lot of things that the enemy stacked up against that young man to detour his life. And so he was 58 years old when he finally gave his life to Christ. Phyllis and I had been married. We were living here and pastoring this church. I'll never forget that Sunday night when we got the call. It was amazing. We, Meredith and Nicole, were small, and, and I think we scared them a little bit. Because we shouted, we didn't do Well, that's sweet, praise the Lord. Look, I've been praying for that man for 20 years. She'd been praying for all those years. And when he called and said, I gave my life to Christ, I accepted Jesus tonight, I'm a born-again believer. Man, we shouted. And I'm gonna tell you, he struggled in those early years. Phyllis grew up in a home with a mother who loved Jesus and served God and a dad who did everything for them except serve Jesus. And there were some gaps. He had a hard time saying, I love you. He had a hard time communicating his feelings. There was a lot of anger and bitterness built up inside of him. And she grew up with some things that were lacking. But I want to tell you men and you families here today, he was 58 years old when he got saved. And some people say, well, it's too late. Some people say, well, you missed too many opportunities. Everybody with me right now? Some people might say, well, it's never going to be the same. Well, God gave his wife and his daughters and his sons, my wife, gave them 30 more years with that man. And I watched that man change. I watched him. Listen, when, you, when I first started dating Phyllis, you I, I'm not trying to brag on me. I mean, I just liked her enough. I was in love enough. I was going to take a risk. But you had to be a man to walk in that house. I'm going to tell you, her dad was not a friendly man. He looked at you like I could break your neck in a minute and I'm thinking about it right now. Her two brothers sat beside him looking at you the same way. They had a black German shepherd that lived in the house that was that tall. I mean, the first time I ever had a date with her, I double dated with one of my friends from college, and he walked in with me. The next time we went back, he said, I'll wait in the car. (laughs) I mean, I couldn't even get the dude to walk in a house with me. You walked in that house, you, you really kind of figured out what it was. I mean, Phyllis was safe. How many understand what I'm talking about? <laughs> if Phyllis was safe, four would have not have laid a hand on her. You, you, you realize what I'm saying. Captain America would have hid behind his shield to, to see that house. So, so he, he, he was a tough guy. He was a tough guy. And, and uh, not, not, you know, wouldn't communicate love. A lot of things a child would need. But at 58 years of age, he gave his heart to Christ. And I watched God change that man's heart. He became one of the kindest, most loving, encouraging, supportive men. Phyllis got 30 years with him that the enemy tried to steal. Now I'm here to tell you today, gentlemen, you may have wasted some years. God can restore your years. I'm here to tell some children who didn't get what you needed from your father that God's still a good father and he's going to do some things in your life. What we're going to say today is it's not over and it's not too late. And you might say, well, my father's already gone and it never happened. I'm going to tell you, you have a heavenly father who loves you, who's for you, who chose you. The Bible uses this term, he adopted us. We, we, we weren't. Uh, he didn't have to have us. He chose you. You understand what I'm saying? He adopted you. He picked you. He paid a price for you. And so today, we're going to be encouraged by these things. I just want you to know that there's very few perfect families. On, on my end, I'll tell you about my father. I never knew him except as an incredible man of God. He was my best friend. He was my best man at my wedding. He was my hero. I loved him. I honored him. My, my dad... What, what taught me everything. He, he, he was a gift in my life. And I'll never forget the day I was standing by his bedside when he breathed his last breath. Phyllis was there. Our family was gathered around his bedside. And he went out as a man of honor, loved and celebrated. It was a moment. It was a holy moment. Uh, it, I don't know it was so holy. It was at Huntsville Hospital. When we gathered, we sang and we worshiped around his bed that day in the intensive care unit. It may happen often. I've never seen it before. But when we walked out of the door from that intensive care unit, my father had passed away. And and, and when we walked out to leave, the entire medical staff of the intensive care unit had lined up in in, in there to honor my dad in that moment and respect the presence of God that was in the room that day. It was amazing. But I wondered, what would I do? I've had to say goodbye to my dad. I said, what am I going to do? You know, my father, most of you know, some of you don't, he built every building in our church but this one. He shut his business down early in Arkansas. Had his own design-build general contracting company. Shut it down. Came to Decatur, Alabama to build our first church building. We couldn't pay him. He just came. Lived in a little two-bedroom apartment. He and my mom paid all his expenses. Left a beautiful home back in Arkansas where he would built a career and a life. Why? Because he loved God. He wanted to help something happen. And so, I wonder, what am I going to do? He built the home I live in today. What would I ever do without my dad? What am I going to do when that day comes and he's not there? I I can't ask any more questions. I can't ask any more information. I can't have him pray for me. Can't feel that big hand on me praying for me again. Can't look in his face and hear those words. What am I going to do? And I stood there by his bed watching him take his last breath, slower, slower, farther apart. I knew it was not going to be long. And when the nurse comes in and says, he's gone, he's, that's it. I thought, what am I going to do when that moment grabs me? You know what happened in that moment? It was stunning. I was so sad and, and, and this grief beginning to rise. But something came on me in that moment that I didn't expect. My gratitude to have been his son, my gratitude that I had had that kind of father. My gratitude that he had blessed every year of my life was greater than my grief. What could I say? How could I be angry? How could I be mad at God? How could I do anything? I I knelt by his bed and instead of being angry or mad, I just was overwhelmed with gratitude. He was my father. That was my dad. I got to live with him. I still have everything he told me. I have everything that he showed me. And so today I want to tell you something. Your father's impact on your life can outlive him. Your father's prayers, listen to me, don't have any shelf life. Everything he prayed over you is still alive and well. Everything he ever poured into you is alive and well. And if your dad is here, I'm going to tell you, I don't care what it takes. You need to get things right with him if they're not right. And if things aren't where they ought to be, God's going to help you begin to move them in that direction. And fathers, if you've been less than what you want to be, God's for you. God's with you. And God's going to do some restoration. I believe in these next few minutes, I just wanted to share some personal things. Because I understand. Let me tell you this. That's all I ever knew about my dad, that kind of man. But when my mom and dad first married before any of the children were born, my father wasn't a Christian. My father was a functioning alcoholic. He drank every day. He'd go to work and did his job. He was an architect in Dallas, Texas, and did his work, but he stopped on the way home and drank. He got up in the morning, had a drink before he went to work. My dad had some real issues in his life. He was a World War II veteran, struggled with some of the things he'd seen and had to scramble. His mother, my grandmother, was one of the first people in the state of Arkansas to be baptized in the Holy Spirit out of that Azusa Street Revival. She broke denominational barriers and color barriers. Her prayer partner was an African-American lady. And there's only African-American ever walked in that neighborhood. But she walked in that neighborhood to praise my grandmother. She broke barriers where anybody talked about breaking barriers. You know why? Because they found out in Jesus Christ. There is no color. There is no language. There is no separation. That's my heritage. But my dad ran from that. My dad, said, see, he, my dad thought his mother lost her mind. Until he encountered this same Jesus and met the Lord. So he had to come to Christ. But I'm going to tell you, God can restore every year the enemy stolen away from you. God can give you back and more everything. The devil's a liar. And my faith and my declaration today is that everyone in this building and everyone listening to me online and every campus and every replay of this, you're going to be healed today in Jesus' name. You're going to be restored today in Jesus' name. You're going to find hope today in Jesus' name. We're not going to walk out of here and try to endure. You're going to walk out of here and excel in the name of Jesus. You're going to believe in hope again in the name of Jesus. Listen to me. You're not going to walk out as a victim today. You're going to walk out as an overcomer. You're going to find hope in life. You're going to see yourself the way God created you to be. And we're going to see that happen today. So at Calvary... To be able to preach those kind of things, let me say, we honor the Word of God. We start where God starts. We believe what God says. Amen? We don't pick and choose. We don't cut and paste. This is it. At Calvary, we celebrate the wisdom and the love of God and re- revealed and how He designed men and women. You know, last time I checked, it's hard for a man to be a father without a woman somewhere involved. <laughs> Did I say more? I mean, this is PG audience. so I'll stop there. You understand what I'm saying? Never met a father. Didn't have a woman connected with that process. So I'm thankful for God's wisdom. Aren't you thankful for how he designed a woman and her unique abilities and a man and his unique abilities? It's amazing the way God designed us. We recognize that. We celebrate that. And we also today celebrate the incredible results. When a woman and a man commit their life in a covenant before God Almighty called marriage and what God does, I'm going to tell you, gentlemen, there's something that you need that she has. Ma'am, there's something you need that he has. And it's worth waiting on God's timing and wisdom and person and order and place. If everybody else is confused we're not confused around here. If everybody else is trying to figure this thing out, I don't have to go figure it out. All i got to do is read. It's right there. God's designed His purpose. Let me encourage you today. Don't listen to the lies. Don't listen to the whisper. Don't settle for the counterfeits. Don't pick up the lies and excuses and, and, and thin uh, things that exist. God has a design. If you'll follow it, it will work in your life and bless your life. Come on, somebody say amen to that. So we honor the ladies. We honor the men. Today I'm, I'm focusing on our fathers and your incredible impact, gentlemen, and what you do. I realize, as I said, when we come to this day, there's a range of emotions that we deal with based upon our experiences. As I told you, I grew up with my father. He was my hero. When I was young, listen to me, all my words, I thought he was a superhero, but I learned later my dad did not have a cake hanging in his closet. You know, and that made me love him more because I found out my father wasn't a superhero. He was a man. He was a man like any other man. He faced what any other man faced. He had to deal with every other man, but he chose to make some decisions in his life. He chose to make Jesus Lord of his life. And this man, my father, a real man, a man that faced what everyone else's faith. You know, as I grew up and grew older, you know what I realized? My dad wasn't perfect, but he was a godly man a man that loved God, a man that led the way for his family and many, many, many others around him. You know, that man that my dad, I realized, and this is when I realized that my dad, in my eyes, was a great man. He was a real man. He was a human man. He faced what other men faced, but in my eyes, my dad was a great man. Gentlemen, I want to tell you something today. I'm going to prophesy over every man in this house. I'm going to speak the word of God over you today. I want you to listen to me. I don't want any excuses. I don't want any filters. You listen to me. You're a great man. You're a great man. I'm going to say it again. You're a great man. Young men sitting in his house, God's going to make a great man out of you. You say, well, Pastor, I don't feel great today. I didn't ask you how you felt. I told you who you are. Well, Pastor, I haven't been great. I didn't talk about where you've been. I'm talking about who you are. Well, Pastor, I've blown it. I'm not going to identify you with your mistake. I'm going to identify you with the will of God over your life today. I know who you are. I know what's in your life. I'm not up here to to play a violin and sing a sad song. I'm here to prophesy into you and tell you who you are. I'm going to pull that out of you by the power of the Holy Spirit today in the name of Jesus. Come on. If you want to be a loser, this is not for you. If you want to be great, I'm speaking into your heart. If you want an excuse to fail, you can go somewhere else. I'm not going to give you one today. I'm going to tell you God has something planned for you, sir. Young men, I'm glad our young men are here today. I'm glad these students are here today. You know why? Because I'm speaking over them. They're great men. They're going to be great men. They're being developed even at this time. That word great, I'm not afraid of, and I'm not going to back away from it. Look in Genesis 12 and verse 1. Genesis 12, 1. This is when Abraham was still called Abram. He wasn't Abraham. Yes, he was just Abram. How many are listening to me? God's not afraid to start right where you are. God's not afraid to start right where you are. Look at this with me, Genesis 12, 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country. Now, I want you to notice the past tense. We, we miss that often. Go back and look at this statement. The Lord had said. We're not reading the original conversation with God and Abram. Guys, are you listening to me? I believe, <laughs> you, you might say, who gives you the audacity <laughs> To stand up there and call all of us great. I'm glad you asked me that. Because all I'm doing is reiterating a conversation God's already had with you. You say, I've never heard it. Well, you weren't listening. You've heard it. And it beats down inside your chest. You just need to believe you can do that again. Okay? So watch this. The Lord had said. Do you know that everything God's promised you is never going to happen until you start walking in that? Everything that God's already said is still sitting there waiting. It's waiting on you right now. Do you understand that? It's not, it's not going to happen. It's already been stated by God. It's already in place. It's already there. Someone has to say, I'm going to act on this. Are you with me? Okay. So the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Gentlemen. I want to tell you today, there are going to be some things you must leave if you're going to be the great man of God he's ordained for you. Are you listening to me today? You're going to have to let go of some crutches. You're going to have to let go of some excuses. I'm for you. Listen, I'm pulling for you. Nobody believes in you more than me, but i got to help you with some things. There's some things that can't go with you as you go forward in the will of God in your life. Do you know you might rise above anything your father ever did? Do you know you can go above your family tradition? Do you know you can excel from what anyone else has done in your life? You can go past that. So he said, you may have to leave some things, and I'm going to take you someplace. Watch what he says. I will make you. Someone say make. Evidently, he wasn't there yet. Evidently, he wasn't great yet. Evidently, it wasn't done yet. But God will start where you are. He will make you. Somebody say make that means you're under construction god's going to make something how many are thankful god's making something in your life today see he'll start where you are i will make you into what a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. We declare today your name is going to have a new identity. Amen? Your name is going to carry blessing and favor and honor. Your sons and daughters are going to be honored to carry your name. And your wife is going to be honored to stand with your name. Come on. How many are listening to me today? I'm going to make your name great. And and your name what? He's going to make your name good. No, he's gonna make your name great. And you will be a blessing. You may not be a blessing now. You may not have been a blessing yet. Come on, listen to the word. You will be a blessing. Come on, someone say, I'm a blessing. Come on, say it. You need to say it. You've said all the other things. Say it, I'm a blessing. Wives, quit looking side-eyed right now. I want you to say, you're a blessing. Come on, say it to a man around you. Someone say it to your husband. Say it to your father. Say it to your dad. You're a blessing. You know why you better say that? Because I'm going to read the next two verses. I will bless those who bless you. Come on. I will bless those who you. Be- you better try again. I'm trying to help you out. There's one more sentence coming. Go ahead and look at that man. Say, I bless you. I bless you. You're a blessing. I bless you. Hey, I'm not playing church. I'm trying to help somebody out now. Because look at the next verse. And whoever curses you, I'll curse. Well. You want to try it one more time? You want to bless somebody? I bless you. I, I see you look. I don't care how you're looking at me right now. It doesn't. If, if looks could kill me, I'd have died a long time ago. You want to give it one more shot? You better bless somebody. <laughs> Whoever curses you, I'll curse. I don't have a mic, but I'll drop the mic. Yeah. Whoever curses, I mean, I, I don't want to drop that one. That's... <clears throat> All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You're going to be a blessing. Your territory's large. Your influence is great. You're here for a reason. It's a good reason. Mm-mm. So God starts where you are. Now, I want to show you something. Let me show you a process. i will give you a two quick illustrations and then we're going to release it in this house. Look at me in 2 Samuel chapter 22. We're, we're, we're looking at greatness. 2 Samuel 22. Turn it with me, verse 36. 2 Samuel 22 verse 36. This is David celebrating the victories of God in his life. This, this was a prophetic song that he began to sing and, uh, as praise to God. After God had done all the things, defeated his enemies, he's telling us how did this happen. I I have it here from the original NIV. Look at this. You give me your shield of victory. You stoop down to make me great. Wow. You stoop down. God starts where you are, gentlemen. He stoops down to make you great. He reaches down where you are. Come on, how many are thankful for that? You're not too far. God stoops down to make us great. He reaches where we are. That's the word of the Lord. I want to say it again. You give me your shield of victory. Gentlemen, ladies, and gentlemen, let's read it out loud together. Are you ready? You give me your shield of victory. You stoop down to make me great. I'm going to be quiet and listen to you say it. All right, let's go. Ready, go. You got to say it. You. How many believe that? That's the word of God. I believe that. He steeps that. He reaches to us. He he, he comes right where we are. Let me show you how this process works. Go back up to 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 1. 1 Samuel 22 verse 1. The context of this passage is David running from King Saul. Why was David running from Saul? What had he done wrong? Nothing. Listen closely because you may identify with this. Why was David a fugitive? He had done nothing wrong. He committed no crime. He had not been unfaithful to King Saul. In fact, he had been his most faithful warrior, general. He had soothed the man when demonic spirits came against him by his anointed worship. This was a faithful man, and yet now he's being stalked and hunted like a criminal. Saul had become jealous and insecure and demonic harassed. Because he had walked away from the presence of God in his life. And in that place of demonic harassment and separation from God and insecurity and jealousy, he began to focus all of that on David. David was facing the rejection from a man he had looked at as a leader. Maybe you have struggled with the fact in your life that this man, this father figure in my life, was not who I thought he would be. He didn't treat me the way he should have treated me. The one I thought that would protect me has now become my greatest adversary. David can relate to where you are. When David was chosen by, Sam, by God and anointed by Samuel to be the king, his own family discounted him. The prophet came in the house of Jesse and said, Bring your sons. And they didn't even bother to go get David because they all decided, even his father, it couldn't be that little guy. So maybe you've grown up in an atmosphere where you've been discounted underestimated, unrecognized, ostracized. Maybe the leaders above you failed you, uh, uh, really brought damage and destruction when you were hoping they would secure you and protect you. Can anybody here, you don't have to raise your hand, but can you relate to the place we find David? Here he is in this moment. And so as he's hiding from Saul, some men come out to join him. Now I want you to listen to me very carefully. You you must be on guard. Men are helping men, okay? You must be on guard for who comes to you when you're in trouble. You need to be very careful who you identify with when you're struggling. You need to make sure who's comforting you in your distress. You need to be very careful who's gathering around you Speaking despair when you need someone to put faith in your life. All right? So let's read about those that came to David in this toughest season of his life. Dealing with issues of father rejection. Chapter 22 of 1 Samuel verse 1. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to see him. Now look at verse 2. All those who were, boy, what a crew. This was a support group you don't want to join. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. Mm. And he became their leader. 400. Now, the naive would say, look at this. I got 400 men. Oh, sometimes it's better to be alone than with a crowd of losers. I don't mean that ugly. But let's look at this real quickly. I don't have time to go to depth, but, but I said, let me dive in a little deeper. Who were these guys? What are these words the Holy Spirit chose to describe these men who came to David? You know, you might think, well, that's great they came to helping. No, these guys were, were at the low point of their life, and they said, well, let's go out and find another guy who's got a low point. We'll have, a, we'll have the low point club. In fact, this is going to hide in a cave, act like a bunch of bats. So they were in distress. You know what that word literally means? They were stressed. The word means in a narrow place. Their life was stressed and pressed. And things that got narrow. Listen to me. And they were living in this mindset. There are a few options available to me. I'm in a real narrow place. Anybody ever related to that? Can you relate to that? It's narrow. It's stressful. I, 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 I am in distress. I don't have many options. Nobody's for me. I, I don't have anyone helping me. I, I don't have many opportunities. Anybody with me? I, 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 I just, I'm in a narrow place. Then he said they they were in debt. Now, this one surprised me because typically when you see the word in debt, that means I owe you something. But the word here, and I researched it and researched it, is not talking about the person who owes the money. This word's talking about the bill collector. So what in the world does that mean? What, what, What does it mean? They were in debt. Literally, they were the creditor. Literally, they were the person who hadn't forgiven other people. Because they lived their life going around saying, you owe me, you owe me, you owe me, you owe me. He had a bunch of guys out there, and their whole mindset was, you owe me, you owe me. I'm collecting debts, I'm collecting debts, I'm collecting debts, I'm collecting debts. In other words, these guys were creditors. Everything they did had a string attached to it. Everything they gave, they wanted paid back with interest. These men weren't givers. They never gave you anything. They never saw themselves as a blessing. They never saw themselves as somebody could help. Their whole life is, what are you going to do for me? You owe me. You owe me. I'm a victim. You owe me. You pay me back and pay me back with interest. Anybody listening to me? These are the guys that were there. Narrow places, bill collectors, creditors. You owe me, guys. Guys that didn't know how to give. And the last thing it says, they were discontent. They were bitter. What a group. Bitter, insecure, debt collectors. Give me what you owe me. Pay me back. Life is narrow. I'm stressed. Those are the 400 voices that David had to listen to every day at his lowest point. You with me, guys? You know what I call those guys? A bunch of cavemen. (laughs) Cavemen living in debt, distress, pressure, Narrow places, excuses, unforgiveness, and bitterness. But the stunning thing is, let's go to 2 Samuel 23 and verse 8. God had to take you through a little journey. Come on, you got to find 2 Samuel 23, verse 8. This is amazing. So we see those guys, 2 Samuel 23, verse 8, who were distressed, in debt, discontent, bitter, narrow, unforgiving, These guys weren't ever going to go anywhere in their life. They were already given up and left and came out to live in a cave and have the 3D group, I guess you could have called them, 3D home group, debt, distress, and discontent. If you've joined that one, would you kindly leave them today? I want to help you. you got a better place. But then we, we go after a while. David is in this tough spot, but God's hand is still on David. And David is remaining faithful to God. And God is going to promote him even though those around him have a different agenda. Are you listening to what I'm saying? You've got to remember, men, that those around you may have a different agenda than you have. That they're not wanting to go where you're going to go. They don't recognize the hand of God that's on your life. The greatness that is there. But watch what happens. We, we fast forward into the future. He starts with these 400 men. And time goes on. They, they stay with David. And now we're reading in 2 Samuel 23 verse 8. These are the names of David's mighty men. Hold on. We started off with a, a bunch of 3D cave men. And now I'm going to read about some mighty men. Listen to these. I want not have time to read all of them. But listen to these guys. Josheb Bashabeth. Poor guy with a name like that. He better be mighty. Uh, uh, Tachmonite, who was chief of the three. Listen, he raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Did you just hear that? He killed 800 men with a spear. One guy. I'm sorry if that's a little rough for some people, but this is a bad dude. He, he's, you know, come on. This is Marvel comic stuff. Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dorei, the Ahoite. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines, gathered at Pass damim for battle. Then the... Then the men of Israel retreated, but he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. Everybody leaves him. He's got, he fights so long, his hand cramps on the sword, and he keeps fighting. Next to him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Hararite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shema took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. It just goes on and on. One of these guys that says he went down in a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. I mean, I guess that exercise for these guys. What are you going to do? You're going to run a mile today, No, I'm going to jump in a pit and kill a lion with my hands today. You know, what, what, these guys were phenomenal. But here's what I want you to see. I've studied and studied this. Most Bible scholars agree that some of these men, and the list goes on, were with them in the cave of Adullam. Some of these men started out discontent, in debt, and distress. And after a process of time, listen to me, men, something great began to happen in their life. They became mighty men. They were changed men. They weren't the men who started with David. Something happened in their life. What happened to these guys? What, what what took place? They began to be around a man who believed that God was going to do great things. They began to hang around a man who would take time, who would worship and play that harp and sing. Those men wanted to sing the blues and David sang the praises of God. These men wanted to give up, but the Bible said David encouraged himself in the Lord. They were with him at Ziklag when the Amalekites came in and took their city while they were gone and their families and all those men grew bitter and wanted to stone David, but they watched this man of God. When everyone turned against him, it said David found strength in the Lord his God. They said if David can do it, I can do it. Is anybody listening to me today? They said if David can be a great man, I can be a great man. I may have been a cave dweller but I'm going to become a mighty man of God. I may have had mistakes and failures and my name's not great but I'm going to be a great man before it's over with. I'm going to let God move my life in the right direction now, now let me show you this, this my, my last thing I want to go go to Romans chapter 7 let's look at a passage here Romans 7 because this is where we get stuck I want to help you I want to help you guys come on somebody say it's my day to be great come on it's my day to be great now I don't measure great the way anybody else measures great you know what great is you do what God put you on this earth to do you do what God put you on this earth today you may be a stepfather in a home Raising children who've been wounded by their father leaving. Listen to me, sir. You're a great man if you'll show them the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. You may be a father who said, I've made mistakes. I wish I'd never make. It's too late. I'm telling you there is an opportunity God will give you to step in and change the course of a family. That's greatness in the eyes of God. It's greatness in the eyes of God. Sir, if you're leading well and doing what you should do, you just keep on that path. That's greatness. There are great men who are doing things that the world never celebrates, but because you are who God made you to be, you're doing great things for the kingdom. Too many men have felt this, I call it the Romans 7 trap. Let's look here in Romans chapter 7 and verse 14. Let's see if you relate to some of this. We know this is Paul, the great missionary apostle, writing this. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do it. But what I hate, I do. Now, some men live in Romans 7. Some men live in Romans 7. They find some other guys living in Romans 7. They're all over in that cave. You understand what I'm talking about? The 3D cave. They're all in that cave. Well, you know, I want to do what's right, but I just can't do it. You know, and the things I don't want to do, I just keep on doing. And you can always find those guys in the 3D cave that'll say, yeah, I know what you mean, man. I got you, bro. I know what you're doing. I got you, bro. I know, man. I mean, I don't want to, but you know what? I just can't. Things I want to do, I can't do. Things I hate, I just keep on doing. And, and and, and you know, we you make a club out of it. I got you. I got you. Got your back, man. I hear you, dude. I mean, I'm out here trying. I mean, you know, Yeah. Pass me another beer. You know, I just, I'm not. I'm out here swinging. You know, and, and nobody appreciates me anyway. Give me, you know, give me, another, give me another shot of courage over here. I just, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't do it. But let's keep reading. Verse 17. As it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Listen to me. There's a reason why you do what you do. And there's an answer for that today. He didn't say it was your genetics. He said it was your sin. I'm going to say that again. It's not your genetics that's your problem. It's the sin that's the problem. What do we do? I'm glad. Let's go. Verse 18. I know that nothing good lives in me. That's in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do. I keep on doing it. Aren't you thankful we didn't stop there? Okay. Some people don't have a chapter eight in their Bible of Romans. They tore those chapters out, all right. 20, verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I do it, it is sin living in me. Verse 21. So I find this law at work when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the Lord's sin at work within my members. Now look at verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Do you know there was a term used in that day? That was a phrase in the judicial system of that day. Body of death. It wasn't just a random term. There were some instances where the crime of murder was so heinous that the judge decreed the sentence for the murderer is that they would take the dead corpse of his victim and chain it to his body. It's called the body of death sentence. And day by day, incrementally, you would begin to die as a result of what you had done, the body of death. And so he says, I feel like that man with that sentence, there's a dead man on me. I'm chained. Everywhere I go, he goes with me. Any men relating to this, you don't have to raise your hand. Don't do it. But he says he's there. He says, who's going to rescue me? But look at verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's an answer to a situation that everyone's dealing with. Now, here, here, you know, here's the body of death. I think I can get this on me. Yeah, I tried to grab my microphone. The devil always tries to get my preaching. You got the body of death. Here he is. Now, here's what happens, gentlemen, when you try to do this yourself. So, here we are. The things I don't want to do, I keep doing. The things I want to do, I can't do. And so, we, we walk around and we get used to the body of death. We act like it's not there. And so, we, you know, comes time to sit down. You're trying to. And it says, Are you okay? Oh, I'm fine. Can I help you sit down? Oh, no, it's good. Finally, get here. Are you okay? I've never been better. Everything's good. I'm good. Why do you sit like that? Oh, everybody in my family sits like this. We all sit like that. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Time to go rest. Go and get a nap. Try and get a nap. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you get up the next morning. Your wife says, You don't look good. You say, I don't sleep good anymore. Why <laughs> aren't you sleeping? I got no idea. Everywhere I go, you got me nothing wrong with me. Everybody in my house sleeps like that. My grandfather slept like that. My father slept like that. Well, um, you want to, you, you think your life can change? Oh, it's just fine. Everything's, everything's good. Yeah. It's like, you can't do it. And some of you today, come on, I got to hurry and get through this. You're, you're here. And you know what's happened? We understand that. Here's the part we might miss. You're trying to make this relationship work in your life you're trying to make life work there's something hanging on your back you know what it is it's that rejection and you're trying to make life work and you just about think you found a good relationship but that rejection gets in the way you're trying to love somebody you got a monster on your back man you want to love your wife and your children but you got a monster on you just about think you're going to work this out, and you're about to forgive, and you think I'm about to be set free finally, and 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 you think everything's going to be fine. You, and you get your get bottle <laughs> there. I'm not going to get your purse and, and, and you try to go to church. Listen, listen, what we'll helps somebody? And you say, you know, I just don't feel comfortable in church. I don't doubt that. Look who you're sitting on every time you go to church. And and you say, you know, I just I, I have a hard time worshiping. I don't know what it is. I just don't seem like I can worship. Every, every time I try to worship, there seems like something gets in the way. And, and you know, come here, sweetheart. You know, I want to love my wife. I want to be kind to her. Every time we try to get close. Let me get, let me, see, listen, you get healed. I'll slap that devil out Listen. You. You, <laughs> listen, you get right with God and you'll get that out of the way. <laughs> I don't know why I can't get along with my family. I don't know why I can't feel good about myself. I don't know why that every time I look in the mirror, it seems like there's just something in my way. Every time I I, I, I try to go get a job and I interview for that job, I don't just something that, it's on me. I I, I don't know why. I, I feel like I can't get through this thing. I, I don't know what's going to happen to me. It, it, it just seems like, and, and, and we just get used to it, you know. When we, we just say, well, that's... Mm, that's just well, mm, doggone. that just the way it is. I guess you know. I I, I can't. I, you know. I'm trying to sit down here and, and uh, well. It's just gonna be my life. I guess. It's just my, just my life. I'm I'm in distress. I'm in debt. I'm I'm bitter. And, you know. It's a, it just seems like somebody's whispering in my ear all the time. Yeah. You know. I, I hear Pastor preaching, but there's like something on this side. It's, This talks to me all the time. I I, I don't know what the problem is. Well, you know, I'm I'm going to read the word, men. I want you to get your Bible open. I want you to look at it with me right now. I want you to look at it. It says, so then, we go to verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who's going to rescue me from this body of death? Evidently, nobody's going to give me an answer. I'm not going to find the answer. And I got somebody with me that's going to stay with me till the day I die. Until I find an answer. Until I get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Until I decide I'm not going to be a victim any longer. I'm not going to carry this weight with me any longer. I'm not going to be identified by this thing any longer. I'm not going to let it haunt my sleep and my marriage and my worship and my family and my God and my children. I'm tired of this thing hanging over me. Who will rescue me from this body of death? But thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then I want to go to Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because, listen to me. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death there is an answer there is a hope there is a freedom there is a joy now you can lay down and sleep at night oh it's good I can go to church and I can worship my God I can read my Bible I can love my wife I can bless my children I say it's time to send this thing back where it came from and let the Spirit of God come on the house Stand with me today. Gentlemen, (laughs) I want to call every male in the house up here. Come on, come on. We're not going to make you hold hands, kumbaya, do anything like that. Come on, come on up to the front. You first guys come to the front, please. All the male, fathers, but everybody. Everybody, come on. I'm not going to make you do anything I don't like to do. You're not going to hold hands, look at each other's eyes. None of that stuff. Relax. you got a man who's been set free up here. We're not going to do that stuff. My Lord, look at these men. Look at these men. You guys, look at them. You can spread out on the side if you need some room. They're still coming. Just spread out to the wings of the side. You know, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. People said, men aren't coming to church anymore. Well, I hadn't been to that church. You men, I want you to listen to me. There's greatness in you today. There's greatness in you today. It's because of the Spirit of God. You know, what's been holding you back is that law sin and death. It's that thing that if I'm left to myself, I'm going to miss it. Are you hearing me today? I'm left to myself. I'm going to blow it. Left to myself, it's going to get in my vision and cloud what I'm trying to see. and it, it, It's, it's going to pull on me when I, I need to go forward. It's going to disrupt me. It's going to clog my vision. But through Christ, through Christ, Amen. there's a law. The law, the spirit of life yeah. set me free from the law of sin and death. I, I, I've showed you this before, but let me show you this. See, it, it, it's a law. It's a law like the law of gravity. Gentlemen, listen to me. Instead of fighting something, you can't win. It's a law. Gravity is gravity. If I let go of this, it's going to fall because of the law of gravity. You can say, I'm not going to fall. I don't need Jesus. I got this. I got this. That's going to be the deal. But why is this not falling right now? Because my hand is stronger than gravity at this moment. And if I'm left to myself, I'm going to do that. But through Jesus Christ, there's another law that takes hold of your life. The law of the Spirit is greater than the law of sin and death. The Holy Spirit living in you, gentlemen. See, great. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Great, Where is your greatness? It's a great God living in you. Greater is He that is in you than he that's living in the world. George Sawyer without the greatness of God we'll do that every time every time you've been there you've tried to do it you tried to quit you tried to leave it you tried to go away you tried to get over the hurt and the shame some of you men never had a dad never had the blessing spoken over you never had the opportunity to see it lived out but God's big enough to come put that in your life today and I just want to pray that over you today if you're standing here And maybe you've never given your heart to Christ. Maybe you've just held back and you said, you know, I I believed that lie for a long time. When I was a young man, I used to say, well, when I get older, I'm going to serve God. Listen to me, young guys. You know what happened? Every day I waited, that joker got bigger. My eyes became dimmer. My mind became more deceived. Because I'd lived out in that cave so long, I thought that was normal. You're listening to me? I thought that's just how it was going to be. Man, man. began to believe a lie. Thank God. God intervened. There was that name. Is that one one? Where when that thing came off of me, I said, dear God, it was frightening to me to see how far I'd gone, how blind I'd become at that point in my life. You young men, God wants to bless you. God wants to make you great. You guys that are middle age, you got half your life left. Make it the greatest half. Maybe you're at the end of the days. You know what? What's your legacy going to be? You say, well, pastor, I've wasted a lot. Well, let your testimony be that the devil stole a lot, but God's going to restore everything the devil took away from me. My family's going to see it. They're going to rejoice in me. My family's going to be proud of me. My name's going to be great. Why? Because greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. The law of the spirit of life sets me free. You can ask Christ in your heart today. You can make a new commitment to God today. You can say, you know what? I I can't do this by myself, but God, I surrender. You can do this. Change your whole identity. The greatness of God is in your life today. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org.